This is Carla with As I Grow Up, and I wanted to talk to you this morning about Psalm 30, and I'm going to do something a little different today. Instead of talking um, about, you know, talking about things on my own, I want to read you, first I want to read you Psalm 30, then I want to read you this blog that I found, and it's called From Prosperity to the Pit to Praise. So let's begin with a reading of Psalm 30. This is from the Everyday Life Bible, uh, the Amplified Version by Joyce Meyer. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my life up from Sheol the place of the dead. You have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit or to the grave. Sing to the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, or in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. You you hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit or the grave? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth and faithfulness to men? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing for me. You have put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my tongue and my heart and everything glorious within me may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now I want to read you this blog. Um, It's called Joy Comes Through the Morning, Why Sorrow Must Give Way to Gladness. And it's by City's Church in Minneapolis. So I want to start reading from the place of from prosperity to to the pit to praise. Psalm 30 is what many have called a praise of thanks. David the psalmist stands on the other side of some great distress and thanks God for rescuing him from a close encounter with death. Perhaps not unlike what many are experiencing right now in the ICUs and elsewhere around the world, with or without ventilators to keep them breathing. 
David almost died, and he cried out to God for help, and God rescued him. And now David writes the psalm to thank God and to draw others into thanks with him. Psalm 30 may thank God for a specific rescue in a particular instance in David's life, but it also may reflect back on a whole life or season of life. We don't know, literal or figurative, it is when David says in verse 2, You have healed me, and that's by design. The psalm is meant to draw others into worship for all sorts of healings and rescues, not just David's. The psalm also has an interesting flashback, we might call it, in verse 6 to 10. It begins in the present, verses 1 through 3, then draws others to worship, verse 4, and grounds the praise in the timeless nature of God, verse 5, and flashes back to David's time of trouble when he was in the pit and how he prayed for help, verses 6 through 10, and then ends with enhanced praise in verses 11 through 12. Let's follow David's life from prosperity to the pit to praise and see what the psalm has to teach us about each stage. Number one, earthly prosperity is a gift and a test. Verses 6 through 7. Earthly prosperity is from God. Verse 7 says, You made my mountain stand strong. God made David prosperous. It was a gift, not the ultimate gift, but a real tangible blessing fragile as earthly prosperity can be, which means David should not have grown profitable about his seeming strength, but humble. And what would humility in his prosperity have looked like? Gratitude. He should have thanked God for what he had, as should we, rather than slowly swelling to be prideful about it. God's temporal favor in this age is not an expression of his enduring favor. Verse 7. You hid your face. David was God's anointed, and yet God's making David prosperous for a season was not a final word about God's favor on David. In fact, because God did favor David, he tested him. He humbled him. David almost lost everything on the brink of death itself. Prosperity in this world is both a gift for which to thank God and also a test in which to renew trust in God, not self. Both prosperity and poverty serve his eternal designs for his people. And David now confesses in this flashback that he mishandled prosperity. Verse 6, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. That is pride talking. Prosperity gave space for David's pride to swell. He came to think his strength showed he was strong of his own doing, that he would not be moved. 
he grew numb to the truth that it was God who made him strong like a mountain, and that God is able to make mountains crumble at his word and for our eternal good. What Psalm 30 shows us is that in this life, neither mountain strength nor God's hidden face are the final word. The wicked can seem mountain strong and be prideful, or the righteous can be mountain strong and be humble. So also the wicked in the end will be humbled, and the righteous not only might, but will go through seasons where God's face in favor seem hidden and withdrawn. Earthly prosperity is not a sign of God's eternal favor, nor is poverty a sign of his disfavor. If you are in a season of seeming strength and prosperity, the word from you from Psalm 30 is, Humble yourself before God now. Thank Him. Realize the fragility of your prosperity. Acknowledge His kindness and unworthiness. Do not say in your prosperity, I shall never be moved. Have you seen all the mountains God has crumbled? And if you're in a season where his face seems hidden, don't take that as God's final word to you. In Christ, it is not his final word, as we'll see. We are fragile. Our world is fragile. Our economy is fragile. Our health is fragile. Our peace is fragile. When we are prosperous, God is the giver. And we should humbly thank him and not presume we shall not be moved. And when our mountain does crumble, God has taken it away, and he has eternal purpose for us in it. This is his task to reveal who we really are and purify us for his final favor. Number two, the pit is fearsome and purposeful. Verses three, eight through ten. David tells us how he pled with God when he was desperate and near death. First, he reasoned with God in verse 9. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? In other words, God, what good is it to you if I die? I cannot praise you if I lose my body and my mouth and tongue. Verse 9 mentions the pit, as does verse 3. Another name for this pit is Sheol. Look at verse 3. O Lord, you have brought, brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life among those who go down to the pit. Well, what is Sheol? We've seen this before in other Psalms in Old Testament times. God has not yet revealed much about the afterlife as he has now. And in particular, he had not altered the landscape of the afterlife by raising Jesus from the dead and bringing righteous souls with him to heaven. Sheol, or the pit, or Hades, was the dark and shadowy place of the dead where the human soul would go once body and soul were torn apart in death. The body dies and goes into the ground and the soul, spirit, then would wait in Sheol, where a chasm was fixed between the righteous and the wicked. 
So Sheol was a holding place for the souls of the dead, waiting for final judgment. No bodies to move, or hands to works, or eyes to see, or ears to hear, or mouths to speak. And David appeals to this. He knows that God made the world for his glory, and that he rightly means to be praised. And David begs that God spare his life to preserve his praise. He reasons with God on the basis of God's glory, which is a good way to pray. That's David's argument in verse 9. But then in 10, no more reasoning. He just pleads for mercy. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. And God does show him mercy. He heals him, rescues him, preserves his life and body and mouth and tongue. And David writes Psalm 30 to sing praise and thanks and to draw others into sing with him and more than just sing. Number three, praise is audible and bodily. In verses 11 through 12, we come back to the present from the flashback of verses 6 through 10. David has been rescued, and he still has his mouth, and he is using it to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And his praise on the other side of the pit is not only audible, it is also bodily and part of what we might call enhanced praise. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Sorrow and joy are not equals. In God and for his people, the sackcloth of sorrow and the garment of gladness are not equal and opposite sides of the coin. Sorrow and joy are asymmetrical for God's people. Sackcloth always serves gladness. God takes our mourning and turns it into dancing. That's the final word. Not the other way around. Not in the end. God removes the garment of our weeping and clothes us with joy. In God, mourning does not have the final say. But mourning... Joy comes with the morning. Morning gives way to morning. The reason we know this is true for God's people, and verse 11 celebrates it, is because this is rooted in God, in who God is. Which is what David says in verse 5 at the bottom of Psalm 30. God's people praise him. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. God is not only full of favor, he is not only gracious, he also get, gets righteously angry. But grace and anger are not equal in revealing who he is. Anger serves favor. Weeping does not have the last word for those who are his, but joy sounds the final note. How can we say that? Because God is God. This is who God is. 
because he has revealed himself as the God of verse 5, we can know that verse 11 will come true, that morning will come, rescue will come, relief will come, joy will sound the final note, no matter our present trouble or distress, if we are his people. For David, bringing up of his soul from Sheol, from the pit, was figurative. He was as good as dead. He despaired of life itself. He thought he was a goner. And God brought him up from the near-death experience. But for David's greater son, it was literally true. He died on the cross. His body and soul were torn apart, and his human soul went all the way to the pit. For Friday evening and all day Saturday and into Sunday morning, his spirit waited in the pit. And then God drew him up and spoiled the joy of his enemies and brought him all all the way, not just from the brink of death, but from death itself. Because God hid his face on Friday, joy came with Easter Sunday morning, and because of Jesus, we experience joy, not wrath, as our final note, clothed with gladness, and so, and so we are as we're conformed to his image. And again, that was a blog from David Mathis. Joy comes through the morning. Why sorrow must give way to gladness. Cities Church, Minneapolis. So, as we look at all of that, and we think about all that, the blog says in verse... 30 says, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Psalm 30 says, what do we get out of it? Well, we get out of it that, first of all, we need to praise God. When we pray, that needs to be the first thing that um, we do. Uh I have a little um I have a little book here that gives the keys to effective prayer. And it says that the first thing we need to do is praise him, to thank him for all that he's done. Uh like David did. Like David began, I will extol you, O Lord. For you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my life up from Sheol, the place of the dead. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. We should begin our prayers with praise. Praise to the God who saved us. Praise to the God who saved us from our enemies. And praise to the God who brought us back from the dead, who has healed us. Then we repent of our sins. We confess to God everything that we've 
that we we've done we we confess and we ask for forgiveness and repent repent i was reminded by a friend of mine um, a while ago that just asking for forgiveness we we can ask for forgiveness and we are forgiven by god but when we repent it's more a, a way of saying that i'm not going to go back to that sin to turn our back on that sin and not commit it again that we are committed to not sinning again then we ask for what we what what our needs are if we have financial needs if we have physical needs emotional needs whatever those needs are and we come to him and we we ask the lord for those things and then we yield we yield ourselves to his will and we submit ourselves to him and in all of this we we need to praise him not just not just follow you know following the formula is good following you know certain steps but in order to really have effective prayer we need to remember to praise god to praise him to recall the things that he has done for us to recall the things that he has provided for us and be humble in his presence not prideful Prayer is a key to our Christian life. We can't go without prayer and praise. And we we must learn how to put the two together to be effective in our prayers to God. Well, I hope this has helped you today. I appreciate you listening to me read uh, Psalm 30 in the blog about Psalm 30. I hope that somehow it has reached you and helped you with the way that you pray. And remember, we don't just praise God in prayer, but we praise God continually through the day. And that will bring us joy. And that will put gladness in our heart. Have a good day. Thank you for listening.